0: Welcome to the Scoop and Score podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Did you a little more bye, bye. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week one of the college football season. We have officially made it. Exciting times ahead. A whole season of college football coming at you. And the Scoop and Score podcast will be here every step of the way. Before we get started, just want to say rentlikeachampion.com. You should go there. You should rent a house if you're going to be going to a college football game. I know I'll be using rentlikeachampion.com for the Notre Dame USC weekend uh, in mid-October. Uh, if you go there, it's a great place to uh, to find houses uh, for, for college football weekends in college towns, Uh, Specifically, and go ahead and use promo code scoop. That's S C O O P, and you may or may not get twenty five dollars off your booking. All right, we got a pretty. I I'm sorry to say it's it's just me tonight. uh, After a great string of guests there, and I I do expect to be lining up some guests the rest of the season. But tonight it's just me, or today, or whenever you're listening to this. If you're listening to this. We've probably got some week one college football happening today, or it's already happened, because um, because the season's here. And full uh, full episode uh, for you here. I'm going to start, just to give you a bit of a table of contents, I'm going to start with a pretty in-depth preview of, of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, I'm then going to give you an overall season preview of what I expect the big picture storylines to be, who I expect in the playoff. Uh, who I expect to see in New York for the Heisman. I'll maybe even give you uh, some tips on how to make money betting on the Heisman because that's sort of my thing. Uh, and then we'll we'll dive right into to week one and, and what to expect uh, this coming weekend, what you should be focusing on, what you should be watching, and, uh, and, and maybe even win some, uh, win some money there. Um, in terms of just, you know, life updates, I had jury duty for the first time uh, over the last couple days. At the risk of getting in trouble with the federal government, I won't say too much about the process. But it was not what one would call enjoyable. Uh, I will I will leave it at that. And, uh, and yeah, let's just, I see uh, no better transition from jury duty, my least favorite thing. Uh, then, then to move right into my favorite thing, and that's Notre Dame football. They released their depth chart for the Louisville game today. Uh, no major surprises. We'll we'll get into a little bit of what to expect from the team as a whole. Uh, for those of you that are you know closely follow the team and, and are, are with them on a week to week basis, even during the off season. You know, I apologize if, the, if some of this re- is redundant. Uh, I think I'll I'll provide some of my uh, some of my own specific insights uh, and and what I expect from the team. Um, so so bear with me here, but this new Dame team should be really good um, in terms of expectations. I would say these are the highest preseason expectations. Boy, I, I would—I can't say of my lifetime because that includes like 93. Um, but these are arguably the highest preseason expect. I guess, I mean, sadly enough, 2016, the preseason expectations were really high. And obviously everything crumbled there. So this could be, uh, we could be in for a, a real disappointment. But I would say returning quarterback, um, you know, extreme... Uh, amount of depth and strength on the defensive defensive line especially when it comes to the defensive ends um, and and a, and a strong secondary so here's my over to overall take on the Irish In Book should be really good uh, that's it I don't have anything else to say about the quarterback position hopefully he stays healthy but there's no reason to think he can't you've got of Tagovailoa you've got Trevor Lawrence I'm not sure, I mean, listen, there, there are other good quarterbacks. If you've got that clear top tier of two guys, I think Ian Book is in the next tier. Uh, Jake Fromm is certainly a good player. Uh, Sam Ellinger is certainly a good player. Uh, Shea Patterson is a good player. I'm not sure I'm definitely taking any of those guys before I take Ian Book. Uh, and that's where I think we are, and, and it's nice to have continuity for for the first time in a long time, where a quarterback is returning, uh, and 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 the offensive coordinator is also returning, and we just have expectations of a clear number one, a clear number two. I expect Ian Book to have a great season. Uh, when you move to running back, it's going to be hard to replace the explosiveness of Dexter Williams. Of course, you remember his first carry of the entire season against Stanford, went for a touchdown. He had the 98-yard run against Virginia Tech for a touchdown. He had a huge run against USC for a touchdown. Those big plays, I'm not sure they're going to come from the running game this year. Jafar Armstrong and Tony Jones are a little bit of a thunder and lightning combination. Uh, Both are certainly good pass catchers. I think we're going to see the running back position split out Uh, into the slot, catch a lot of passes this year, but I don't expect to see the long runs that we've seen in previous years. Obviously, it it was nice to have that home run hitter. Uh, You know, Virginia Tech in particular, backed up at our own goal line, was able to get a huge touchdown, kind of take the momentum back and start to put that game away. I don't think we're going to have that this year. And I do think that's a small problem But I think the overall balance of the offense should outweigh that. Uh, When you move to receiver, uh, obviously Miles Boykin opted to go to the NFL, drafted by the Baltimore Ravens. So Chase Claypool kind of now steps in as the number one guy. Uh, Chris Fink still there uh, after a really nice season last year. And unfortunately, Michael Young uh, has a broken collarbone. We're expecting him back sometime, probably mid to late October. Uh, so Lawrence Keys now steps in as a swift, a shifty slot receiver. I'm gonna give something of a of a bold take here. Um, you know Miles Boykin. Everyone remembers the great catch he made in the Music City Bowl against LSU. Uh, he was the best receiver uh, for all of the 2018 season. I'm not so sure that losing him is gonna be a net negative. Uh, he was certainly reliable, a great player, but as we saw against a team like Clemson, he wasn't the kind of athlete that was gonna take Notre Dame to the next level. Now, while Lawrence Keys is certainly young and he's he's inexperienced and he's unproven and he hasn't, I mean, he has no career catches. I think elevating him into starter status he's the kind of explosive athlete that we need if we want to play on the level of the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Georges of the world Uh, and then looking more at Boykin's direct replacement Chase Claypool he he's been you know it's been effort effort's kind of been the problem with him uh, and, and has he been able to consistently show that effort? Uh, and he's never really been a number one guy. Now that he is a number one guy, I expect him to have a breakout season better than Boykin's season last year. He's, uh, he's more of a vertical threat. When you look at just the, the physical traits, Claypool's better than Boykin in almost every regard. He's faster. He's a little taller. Uh, he can jump higher. Uh, hands, probably not as good hands as Boykin. But overall, I just think, uh, even with the injuries, and and I hope they can get Michael Young back soon, uh, but you've got guys like Joe Wilkins Jr. uh, and and Braden Lindsey, who's just an absolute burner uh, if he can get on the field. I think as a whole, the wide receiver group can take a step forward this year, uh, even without Miles Boykin. Uh, Moving over to tight end, Cole Komet, uh, who is expected to kind of be the next in the line uh, here at tight end U, uh, he's, he's another broken collarbone. Uh, the, the expectation, maybe the optimistic expectation, is that he can be back uh, for the second game of the season against New Mexico. That would certainly be great because they're going to need uh, a guy like Cole Komet uh, at full strength when Notre Dame goes to Georgia. But you'll also see Brock Wright. Uh, and Tommy Trumbull playing tight end, Brock Wright mostly as a a blocker and a kind of a short yardage receiver, and Tommy Trumbull as the more athletic guy uh, trying to get him in on mismatch uh, with linebackers and safeties and seeing what he can do as a a pass catcher. The offensive line is more or less what it was last year, Um, and that bodes well. Continuity is certainly a good thing. Um, The only change there is at center. Uh, you're replacing Sam Mustafer, who was a captain, uh, with Jarrett Patterson. Sam Mustafer is certainly a good player. Maybe started to regress a little bit last season, went undrafted. I don't think he's caught on with an NFL team. So Jarrett Patterson certainly has a lot of upside and potential. He's an athletic kid, uh, should be able to move around. So a lot of this chip-long offense with pulling guards, uh, you know, it's, it's rare that you move your center. But he's he's more in the athletic mold of where the Notre Dame offensive line is kind of moving. And ultimately, I think this should be a really strong offensive line. Will it be as good as 2017? No. Nothing... I don't, I don't think Notre Dame fans should ever expect anything to be as good as it was in 2017 when you had McGlinchey and Nelson uh, on the left side there. But overall... I think it should certainly be better than last year. And last year was an above-average offensive line. By Notre Dame standards, might have been a little bit weak. But uh, when you when you account for the fact that they had to replace Alec Bars, uh, Alex Bars in the middle of the year, um, I think they did a pretty good job. And I, I would expect them to be even better this year. Uh, going over to defense, I teased it a, a little bit earlier, but this defensive end depth chart is so stacked it truly they might have the best group of defensive ends in the entire country uh your starters uh in the base defense package are going to be julian aquara and khalid kareem uh i think both have double digit sack potential julian aquara i would be surprised if he didn't get to double digit sacks and then behind each of them You've got uh, Dalen Hayes. Don't forget, he was a former five-star recruit uh, and and now a fourth-year player. Uh, And Ade Ogundije, who had a a really nice sack of Trevor Lawrence in the Cotton Bowl, uh, one of the few bright spots for Notre Dame in that game. We're at the point where their third and fourth defensive ends would maybe be better than the starting defensive ends for Notre Dame in any season other than when they had Aaron Lynch and Stefan Tuitt, or perhaps Stefan Tuitt and Capron Lewis Moore uh, in 2011 and then 2012, those two groups. That's how that's how good they are. Um, so if they get into passing downs, this defense can get really creative. They can maybe put all four of these uh, pass rushers across the line uh, if, if they know a run's not coming and they don't need to be as stout up the middle. They can put all four of these pass rushers on the field at the same time a word of advice for anyone playing Notre Dame this year, you don't want to get into a third and eight type of situation or, or anything longer than that, because if you let these defensive in defensive ends pin their ears back, they are going to get after the quarterback. This is not a strength of Notre Dame in recent years or in the last 20 years. And I am really excited to see what these defensive ends can do, uh, uh creating a pass rush and and hopefully wreaking havoc, uh, both in terms of sacks, potential strip sacks and fumbles, and forcing quarterbacks into bad throws uh, where some of these safeties are going to be able to be in really opportunistic uh, situations to come up with interceptions. At defensive tackle, uh, you got Myron Tagovailoa-Mosa, known as MTA, and Kurt Heinisch. Uh, Both of those guys are back. Neither one is going to be able to replace what Jerry Tillery brought to this team. Uh, But I do, you know, both are solid. And solid is going to be good enough in most games this season. Uh, We'll get into a a little bit about when it won't be good enough. uh, And I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, But most of the time, those are two defensive tackles that are going to be able to play winning football for Notre Dame. Uh, and and some young young talent behind them, so not a huge drop off. Uh, you know, because defensive tackle, bigger guys, uh, certainly possibilities for injuries in the trenches all the time. Solid depth behind them, uh, primarily with Jason Adamayaloa and and Jacob Lacy uh, filling in behind each of them. Probably the biggest question mark uh, coming into this season for Notre Dame is the linebacker position. Uh, Notre Dame has to replace. Uh, Captain Drew Tranquil, as well as Tavon Coney, both were, it, it's hard to overstate, uh, how important they each were for Notre Dame last season and really over multiple seasons. So now we're in a situation, uh, where, you know, are you moving? Notre Dame has been trying to figure this out all off season. They're, they've been moving people around to different linebacker positions they're, they're balancing the idea of getting the three best guys on the field versus finding the best fit for three different guys. It certainly seems like they found the answer at, at one of the positions, and that's the rover position. And uh, for those who are not as familiar, Drew Tranquil was in the rover position for a while. Um, last year, it was primarily Osmar Balal. Uh, Jalen Smith briefly was in this rover position. It's, it's sort of a... Uh, it's, it's a linebacker that can drop into coverage he can also come uh, off the edge uh, to pressure the quarterback and in Jeremiah um they it, it kind of seems like they found baby Jalen Smith uh he's not as big as Jalen uh it it sounds like he might be as fast as Jalen which is certainly pretty incredible now granted Jalen Smith, is the best defensive player and possibly the best player period that I've ever seen at Notre Dame. So I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put the weight of that on Jeremiah Uso But he's an athlete in the same mold. Uh, I expect to see him flying all over the field, uh, covering slot receivers, chasing down running backs and getting after the quarterback. I do think that they're in really good shape at that position. Uh, Asmar Bilal will be starting at one of the inside linebacker positions. And, you know, there, there seems to be some concern throughout Notre Dame about what he's going to be able to contribute. I don't know. I guess I'm higher on what he's produced uh, throughout his career thus far than most people. He's, you know, he's never been great, but he's kind of always done what he's been asked to do. And now, as a fifth year senior, uh, I think he should be able to settle into his role nicely and, and do a good job. So I'm not as worried about Osmar Balal as some other people. And then the final inside linebacker spot. It sounds like Drew White uh, is going to get the start there. You may remember him. He filled in against uh, Navy when Drew Tranquil got hurt. Uh, the Drew for Drew replacement. Different spelling, though. Um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't like to be negative about college kids, uh, on this podcast. I just, I'd like to be in a position where our starting linebackers were all at a higher level of athleticism than drew white. Um, now, Granted, anytime Notre Dame is in a non base defense, uh, if, if it's against a team who's constantly throwing three, four, five receivers out on the field and we're in a nickel or a dime package, which I actually think we'll see a fair amount this year against teams like Michigan, USC, maybe even Louisville in this first game here, I don't expect to see Drew White on the field. Um, so I, I expect him in on primarily running downs only, and that's when we can get a little more creative on passing downs. Uh, with you know extra safeties, extra corners, or maybe even a different linebacker such as a Jack Lamb or a Shane Simon, uh, filling in you know guys that we would expect to be better in coverage. But the linebacker position, definitely the biggest question mark for the Irish, and uh, and something to keep an eye on how that shakes out. Okay, the secondary is an interesting situation. I, I said the defensive ends I truly believe are the strongest unit of defensive ends in the country. Uh, we were one decision away from me, to, from me to saying that the secondary was the best secondary in the country. And if Julian Love had returned to Notre Dame, I think the combination of Julian Love, Troy Pride, Alohi, Gilmore, Alohi Gilman, and Jalen Elliott would be the second best secondary in the country. That being said, Julian Love's now on the Giants, so no real need to to focus on that. And here's where I get a little concerned. Troy Pride last year was an excellent number two corner. He was rarely forced to cover the best player on the opposing team, and he did his job extremely well, knowing that the other side of the field was completely locked down by Julian Love. A lot of Notre Dame fans seem to be saying, Okay. Troy Pride now just slides into that number 1 corner spot and we're replacing Julian Love with now, you know, whoever whoever this new starting cornerback is. Here's what I will say. I'm afraid that Notre Dame fans pretty quickly are going to be missing Julian Love. As good as Troy Pride is and he's a sprinter, he can run with anyone and he's been a really productive player over his Notre Dame career. He is not as good as Julian Love. He's just not. So while I think he's a very worthy number one corner, I think he's you know probably one of the top 20 cornerbacks in college football. He's not quite the lockdown guy that Julian Love was, and Notre Dame fans should not expect him to be. We are going to give up more passing success than we did last year out wide uh, against our cornerbacks. Um, on the other side, I am I'm really excited Sean Crawford, uh, you know he he's certainly been excellent over his career. He's dealt with, uh, if if I'm not mistaken two ACLs and an Achilles. Uh, so ton of injuries in his career. So glad that he's been able to battle back and he will be starting opposite Troy Pride against Louisville. Uh, you'll You'll also see guys like Tariq Bracy, Dante Vaughn. Houston Griffith, you'll see a lot of cornerbacks rotate in. I don't think they're going to want it to be quite like it was last year where you saw so much of two guys on the field without uh, without getting any subs. The even stronger part of the secondary is the safety position. Uh, Alohi Gilman and Jalen Elliott were fantastic last year. I expect them to be great again this year. And unlike last year, there is a third guy this time around. Uh, there is a sub to get in there. Uh, it'll be really exciting, mostly in the nickel and dime packages, when all three can be on the field at the same time. But Kyle Hamilton, a true freshman, it's—he was the biggest recruit Notre Dame got, uh, and he has—he I, I, he has exceeded all of the wildest expectations about what he could be. Granted, it's just you know fall camp; he's just practicing. But the expectation here is that he is going to be the best Notre Dame defensive player since Jalen Smith, probably be the best player in the secondary since I don't even know when. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of hype and excitement surrounding Kyle Hamilton, and uh, and he should be able to give he should be able to give both Lowie Gilman and Jalen Elliott a breather at times, and and will help Notre Dame get creative in some of these uh, clear-cut passing situations. I am, I- I'm sure it's coming off just based on what I'm saying, but I'm really excited about what Notre is able to do on third down. You could be looking at a situation where they've got four defensive ends on the field, uh, three safeties, and two corners and... You know, maybe even three corners and one linebacker. You could be looking at six defensive backs, four defensive ends, and one linebacker on the field, and you would just be attacking the quarterback with a pass rush. And you'd have six guys, you know, very capable of of intercepting a pass on the field. Really excited to see uh, what the Irish are able to do in their third down packages when a pass is clear. Special teams certainly uh, a question mark. You're replacing Justin Yoon, place kicker, all-time leading scorer in Notre Dame history, and uh, and and Tyler Newsom, uh, the punter, who was a captain last year. So certainly uh, a big change there. Uh, John Doerr will be the kicker to start the season. Unfortunately, probably best known for his struggles uh, in recent years. Last year, he was just given kickoff duty, and he was uh, – Inept, you know, and between between kicking balls out of bounds or kicking low-line drives that were readily returnable, uh, he he definitely struggled. The word is that he had a pretty good fall camp. Uh, he certainly got a big leg. So if, if Notre Dame was in a pinch and needed to kick like a 55-yarder uh, to win a game, they probably give it a shot. But he's also the kind of guy that we've seen miss extra points. So it's just going to be hold your breath every time Notre Dame uh, lines up for a field goal. That being said, the, the lack of faith in the kicker could lead to Notre Dame going for it on fourth down more often. And I'm a huge proponent of that. I, I think if you go in with the mindset of you've got four downs, it uh, it allows you to change your play calling on each individual down and just sets you up for success more so than uh, than the traditional three downs and punts. So I'm I'm hoping that anytime Notre Dame crosses, say, their own 40 yard line, uh, they're sort of looking at it as four-down territory, and I hope they can get aggressive with their offense. Especially with a guy like Ian Buck, who who's so good with his decision making and has the the capability to run and also pass and, and with you know such accurate passing, I trust him to to hit those like fourth and three out routes or or whatever it may be. Uh, punter Jay Brambleet, uh, you know, he's a freshman. I'm sure he'll do a fine job. I'm, I'm less worried about that. That kind of covers the entire roster. I apologize for rambling as long as I did, but I get to talking about Notre Dame, and I, I don't even have notes in front of me. That was all just kind of off uh, off the top of the dome, if you will. My expectation for Notre Dame this season. I've got them going 10-2, and two. Um one of those losses is certainly at Georgia. Uh, I will be at that game. I certainly hope they win. I don't expect them to. Um, Georgia. Georgia's strength plays into Notre Dame's weakness. Georgia's going to be an incredibly good running team this year. They've potentially got the best offensive line in the country. They've got one of the most explosive running backs in the country. Notre Dame is going to be a little bit soft up the middle in terms of their defensive tackles and those question marks at linebacker. I expect Georgia to run the ball pretty effectively and easily on Notre Dame. The key with that, I would say Georgia's going to have a 60-yard touchdown run in that game. I wouldn't be shocked if they had two long touchdown runs in that game. The bigger key, because Georgia's going to get their touchdowns, like, you know, Notre Dame's going to have to score in the 30s to win that game. I'm not worried about Georgia scoring 14 points on two long runs. The key is whether or not Georgia is able to just rip off like six, seven yards a carry on the on the regular runs. And I'm afraid that is what might happen. If Notre Dame can, can clamp down on the run game and, and not allow four, five, six, seven yards a carry, then they're going to be in business. But I am just afraid that Georgia – is going to be able to get like six yards anytime they want. And that is going to be a problem. Uh, The second loss could come in a few places. I actually sort of think the most likely place for it to come is the very next week at home against Virginia. Uh, The team will be down. The stadium will be a little bit deflated coming off of a loss. and, And Virginia will be in a ripe spot for an upset. That being said, the idea of predicting Notre Dame to start two and two just seems a little bit too depressing for me right now. So I'm going to say that second loss comes at home against Virginia Tech, who I expect to have a nice season. It's in the middle of a – or it's the second game of kind of a, a brutal uh, schedule, not so much in terms of difficult teams, but just travel and, and what to expect. Um, and I, it, would, it would come right after winning at Michigan, so certainly a, a letdown potential there. Uh, so right now I've got Notre Dame uh, going ten and two, losing at Georgia and and to Virginia Tech at home, but uh, beating beating Michigan at Michigan, beating USC at home, and the the prediction that I feel best about this year: Notre Dame will go to Stanford and win for the first time since two thousand seven. It's remarkable that Notre Dame has been unable to beat Stanford since 2007. I think it happens this year. I feel very confident about that. Now getting into a preview for the rest of the college football landscape. Uh, I'll I'll try to keep it brief here, uh, but my conference champion predictions, uh, Clemson, no surprise there. Uh, Washington, not a major surprise there. They, they get Oregon at home, which I think uh, will certainly play a factor in the Pac-12 race. Uh, I've got Oklahoma winning the Big 12. I've actually got a three-way tie uh, in the Big 12 uh, with two losses between Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State. And I've got those three teams all beating each other. So it's kind of complicated to decide uh, who would play in the Big 12 championship game, uh, going through all the tiebreakers. I spent a lot of time. I spent way too much time doing this. Um, but I actually ultimately came up with, with a Big 12 championship game of Oklahoma and Iowa State. Uh, and and I do have Oklahoma winning that game uh, and, and winning the Big 12 as a result, despite losing to Texas Tech in the Red River rivalry. And, and unlike last year, not even having to avenge that loss um in the SEC I actually changed my pick today Uh, I originally had Alabama going 13-0 and and winning the SEC I then saw news that linebacker Dylan Moses uh, is expected to be out for the season and I just think this might be one too many injuries and and just one one too many changes for Alabama um I'm not. I'm not predicting the end of Alabama. It's not. Uh, it's not something crazy like that. I just. I, I expect them to go 12 0 in the regular season. I just think Georgia gets them in the SEC championship game. Alabama has to deal with replacing almost all of its coaching staff. Uh, you know, always retooling. Uh, you know, due to due to NFL uh, departures. And I just think this loss of Dylan Moses in the middle of the defense—he's uh, being replaced by a true freshman. I just think it could be just one—you know—it's it, the straw that that broke the proverbial camel's back. Um, so since Georgia has been able to recruit on such an elite level for for several years now, their roster is filled with with Alabama-esque talent. And I think when we get to that SEC championship game, Georgia will be able to, uh, to seal the deal as they've been unable to do uh, in excruciating fashion over the last two years, whether it was 2018 in the SEC championship game or 2017, technically January 2018, in the national title game. But I do think uh, that Georgia will get the job done this season. And perhaps my biggest upset... In the Big Ten Championship, meeting in Indianapolis, I've got the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and I think Nebraska, in the second year of Scott Frost, led by Adrian Martinez, will win the Big Ten Championship and earn a berth into the Rose Bowl. Um, we, We saw what Scott Frost did in his second year at UCF, turning that program around, I think, with Adrian Martinez, another year in the system. He is destined to have a big-time year. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that shortly. Um, in terms of the playoff field, even with my last-second change uh, to Georgia beating Alabama uh, in the SEC Championship game, that actually doesn't change my playoff field. It's not an exciting one. It is, uh, it's actually the same four teams I predicted last year, and I got three of the four teams right. Uh, I've got Alabama. Alabama. Clemson, Georgia, and Oklahoma. Uh, I don't. Uh, given that I expect Nebraska to be the Big Ten winner, uh, and I expect them to have multiple losses, I don't think they're going to get in. Uh, I think the Pac-12 winner will have multiple losses, and I have Notre Dame at 10 and 2, which opens the door for a one-loss non-conference champion from the SEC. In this case, Alabama to get in there. When it's all said and done, no one's stopping Clemson this year. They're gonna go 15 and 0 for the second consecutive season. They might go 15 and 0 next year uh, again. Just let's all let's all just enjoy rivalry games, individual games. We're probably not playing for the national championship at this point uh, with Trevor Lawrence leading that absolutely loaded Clemson offense, and and they're starting to recruit an even higher level than they have in recent years. They're going to be incredible. They're going to win the national championship. Let's just sit back and enjoy greatness. There's nothing wrong with enjoying greatness, and that's what's currently happening at Clemson. Uh, In terms of the Heisman, I chose four Heisman finalists to get invited to New York. Uh, Those four were Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Jonathan Taylor, running back from Wisconsin, and Adrian Martinez, quarterback from Nebraska. I realistically only think two guys have a shot to win this, and that's Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa and Clemson's Trevor Lawrence. I think Jonathan Taylor gets invited as something of a career achievement award. He is going to be chasing the all-time career rushing record uh, for college football. And I think if Adrian Martinez puts up the numbers I expect him to, and and he has the kind of run that I expect him to, including beating uh, Ohio State, in the Big Ten Championship. I think uh, I think that kind of boost, we saw what happened last year with Tua having a terrible game in the SEC Championship while uh, Kyler Murray had a great game in the Big 12 Championship. We've seen that Championship weekend can have a big impact on the Heisman race. And for that reason, I think in a standout performance, Adrian Martinez earns himself an invite to New York. Uh, ultimately, even though I'm, I'm no longer picking... Alabama to go undefeated. I am going to give the Heisman Trophy to Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, He was so close last year. I think voters are going to look for an excuse to get him the award this year. I expect Clemson to be a little more conservative on offense, probably run the ball some more and have such huge leads that they're not continuing to pass. Whereas with Tua, we saw last year he did so many of those little handoff passes. Uh, Those are going to contribute to his passing statistics with Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, uh, they have more receivers that I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, I think there's a Waddle in there or something. Uh, they're going to be awesome. I think Tua will put up the numbers uh, and, and get some of the sympathy vote, vote from last season. And he will ultimately win the Heisman Trophy. Now, for betting purposes. Listen, if you can get more than plus 200 on both Tua and Lawrence... I think your best bet is to liquidate all of your financial assets, put half on Tua and half on Lawrence, and you're just earning at, at minimum a 50% return on investment over the four months of the bet. Uh, I, I don't see a scenario where one of those two guys doesn't win the Heisman. I truly think they would both have to get injured for someone other than Tua or Trevor Lawrence to win the Heisman Trophy. So that is my advice. Just bet both. It's not sexy. Uh, it's not the 25 to one I gave you last year on Kyler Murray. You're, you're simply turning a profit that, listen, you're not going to go broke making a profit. Uh, and and I just really advise going all in and, and taking your 50% uh, return on investment there. If you don't want to go that route, uh, a few names uh, from outside the board that could be valuable there. One of them, Shea Patterson, quarterback at Michigan. Talked about it a little bit on the Big Ten preview and Michigan preview, uh, but with with the new offensive coordinator, Josh Gattis, coming in there, I expect that offense to be a lot more high-powered. They're going to let Shea Patterson throw the ball to his talented receivers. I don't think Shea Patterson has any chance to actually win the Heisman Trophy. What I do think is he has a real chance to be like 7-0 easily this season and possibly you know, 10, 11, 12. I think he has a chance to, at some point in the season, be like the number three guy on the Heisman list. And at that point, you're probably going to be in a pretty good position using the odds you got in the preseason to head your way to some kind of profit before he inevitably drops the game and falls off um another guy that you might like and the odds aren't that good but Sam Ellinger I suppose if Texas finds a way to go undefeated week two they play LSU so that'll be a big one and then the Red River rivalry against Oklahoma you know if he can go 2-0 and in those games with really big numbers uh he's got Colin Johnson to throw to which which is certainly going to be helpful for his numbers unfortunately uh lost little Jordan Humphrey. Um, but I do expect, uh, Sam Ellinger to put up big numbers. Will the team be good enough to earn him a Heisman? I would say probably not, but again, I I already told you how you're going to win money on this Heisman bet. I'm just, I'm just giving you alternatives. Uh, two other guys that I, I sort of like as value plays. One is Ian book and Ian book kind of the opposite of Shea Patterson, where I think book theoretically could win the Heisman trophy. Um, but unlike Shea Patterson, his candidacy could end in September. There's not going to be value there where you can head your way out of it. If Notre Dame loses to Georgia, Book's probably out of the Heisman race. So that, that's that. On, on the flip side, if they beat Georgia, all of a sudden he is on that absolute top tier right there with, uh, with Tua and, and Trevor, as I mentioned. And then the last guy, the furthest one off the board... Uh, JT Daniels, quarterback at USC, uh, right up there with Michigan and Clemson and Alabama. I would say USC has a top four receiving core. You got Amon Ross, St. Brown, you got Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, I'm sure there are others. Again, this is all off the top of my head, but they brought in Graham Harrell after uh, after Cliff Kingsbury had a like six day stint as the offensive coordinator, but Arguably the next best thing in Graham Harrell. They're going air raid. They're going to let JT Daniels spray it all over the field. I'm a little bit concerned about the offensive line. Uh, I don't know that JT Daniels is going to manage to stay upright for that much of the season. But if if the offensive line can provide any kind of time, I think he's going to put up some serious numbers. Uh, you know Enough so that uh, I was comfortable uh, drafting him as one of the starting quarterbacks on my college fantasy team, again, I'll remind everyone: I won the league last year. I think I've won the league like three out of the last four, and like six out of the last seven years. Um, so, so certainly, uh, you know, if I'm riding with him as my starting quarterback, he he's expected to put up some serious numbers. Uh, just looking at the overall landscape, I already mentioned Nebraska is a team that I expect to uh, overachieve few other teams uh, to keep on the radar, as I said, Iowa State, uh, who I do have going to the Big 12 championship game. I think they can get to 10-2 and two this year, uh, and I think Matt Campbell will likely be at the top of everyone's list to fill any potential head coaching vacancy. Uh, but I expect him to be the kind of guy who waits for the perfect opportunity. Uh, I've got my fingers crossed that he's willing to wait three, four, five more years. Uh, for that Notre Dame job to come open, so I guess we'll we'll see about that. And then two teams in the ACC Coastal, I think Virginia and Virginia Tech uh, should both have really strong years. I have both going ten and two, um, so I, I think the Virginia schools between them win twenty games this season. Uh, probably you know somewhat ahead of ahead of most people's expectations, and I do have. Uh, I do have actually Virginia winning the Coastal there uh, just with with only one of their two losses coming in conference. Uh, All right, with all of that being said, that's that's sort of my big picture take on the 2019 season. And now we can get into uh, what to expect and what to keep an eye on for week one. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention week zero. We had Florida and Miami. Uh, I think Mike Lazarus did a nice job of telling us what to expect from Miami he was he was certainly concerned about the offensive line and that was probably the biggest factor in the game as Jaron Williams was sacked 10 times in a uh, 24 to 20 was it loss um and and that was really the difference there Florida did not look good Felipe Frank's involved in four turnovers um not not that surprising to me I, I don't expect Florida to be a real contender in the SEC and then I'll just briefly mention the Hawaii Arizona game Hawaii uh, Hawaii is able to pull it out 45 to 38 I would argue that that was the most exciting final play in the history of football I know the stakes weren't the highest uh, I know that it didn't end with court, but it was Because both teams had reasons to celebrate. You've got Khalil Tate, one of the most electrifying players in all of college football, scrambling from 30 yards out, you know, really just weaving in and out of players, looking amazing. You've got the announcers going nuts. So you've got the Arizona fans. Oh my God. Oh my God. He's going to score, gets to the one. And then a Hawaii player, a defensive lineman chases down the play all like 40 yards of field, tackles him at the one. Just amazing. You don't know if Arizona would have gone for two. Certainly would have had the chance to send the game into overtime or win it. Uh, but but Hawaii hangs on there, and uh, and Kevin someone might be on the hot seat in Arizona uh, with with you know last year going the way that it did, and now off to an 0-1 start uh, in 2019. All right, if you're listening to this. It's uh, it's probably Thursday. Thursday might have already happened. So sorry if uh, sorry if some of these games have already happened. But we've got football tonight. It's no longer week zero. We are into week one. And right off the bat on Thursday, I'll give you. I'll throw a few games out here that that are worth watching. You got UCLA uh, and Cincinnati. Chip Kelly. Uh, seeing seeing what process, what point of the process of that rebuild UCLA is in, and Cincinnati is going to be one of the best group of five teams in the country this year. Uh, could certainly see them getting to eight, nine, ten wins. Uh, part of that based on how their non-conference schedule goes, and uh, with with UCLA and Ohio State coming up, uh, this is uh, this is a huge test for the Bearcats right off the bat uh, in the first. In the first football game that will be broadcast on the ACC network, you've got Georgia Tech and Clemson. Uh, You get a chance to see the defending national champions, and you get a chance to see Georgia Tech for the first time not running the triple option. Uh, Paul Johnson obviously departed, uh, replaced by Jeff Collins, who was at Temple last season. So certainly going to be a rebuilding process, uh, trying to transition from the triple option to a more traditional offense. But... uh, but certainly should be fun to watch to see uh, you know what kind of shape Georgia Tech is in and obviously how good Clemson looks out of the gate. And of course, anytime Utah and BYU square off, you absolutely have to tune in. There's a pretty good chance there'll be a fight and uh, yeah, should be a good one. So U- Utah and BYU uh, round out Thursday night. We've also got games on Friday. Uh, two that I've highlighted: Wisconsin goes to South Florida. Wisconsin's almost a two-touchdown favorite in this game. I it seems like a bit much to me, but uh, who knows uh, the state of USF right now? Uh, but that's one uh, worth watching. And then, you know, I hate I hate to say that uh, I, I did everything I could to get us a Wake Forest preview as part of that ACC preview. Unfortunately, just no one was available uh, that could have provided. Any insight into that one, uh, but Wake Forest opens up their season against Utah State. Utah State has one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Jordan Love. I would just say to watch out for the Aggies in a potential upset on the road to start that season. Again, I wish I could bring you uh, more information about Wake Forest, but just uh, you know, couldn't couldn't find anyone that would be able to provide any amount of insight on the Demon Deacons this season. Uh, after that, it's, it's officially Saturday. Uh, we've, we've got our second episode of College Game Day at that point. Hopefully, uh, no one threatens to, to choke anyone. Um, and, and right off the bat, we've got Northwestern and Stanford. Uh, that seems to be a game that's played every season. There's talk of body clocks. Uh, and, and we'll just kind of see, you know, Northwestern coming off their Big Ten Championship appearance Nothing much is expected of them this year, but they've got Hunter Johnson, the former five-star uh, Clemson quarterback, who when he saw Trevor Lawrence decided it was probably a good idea to get out of there. Uh, he'll be he'll be leading the charge for the Wildcats, going against Stanford, who I expect to have a pretty tough year this season, uh, but that game should teach us a lot. We've also got Virginia Tech and Boston College. It's actually, uh, I have Boston College winning that game in, in what I expect to be one of Virginia Tech's. Uh, two losses on the season, but that's a good ACC uh, conference matchup right off the bat. We've got Boise and Florida State. Uh, I have inside sources that are reporting that due to uh, due to a potential hurricane, that's a game that could get postponed. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see on that. But if it does get played, you got Boise State starting a f- true freshman quarterback, and you've got Willie Taggart on. Uh, I don't know. Is it too early to say he's on the hot seat uh, in in game one of his second season? I don't think so. I think uh, I think if Florida State were to lose that game, he would certainly be feeling it uh, from from all sides at that point. Uh, UVA and Pitt play in this opening Saturday. Another good ACC matchup. Some some good conference games right off the bat in the ACC. Uh, Scoop and score correspondent Matt Gurren told us he likes Pitt to win that game uh, and and spark what he expects to be a pretty successful season. I don't see it. I think Bryce Perkins and the rest of the Wahoos are too much, and I think uh, think Virginia should be able to win that game. The highlight of the day uh, and really the whole weekend is Oregon facing Auburn. We've seen a lot of these Pac-12 SEC games uh, to start the season in recent years. Auburn's favored by three and a half points in this game. Uh, They're starting true freshman quarterback Bo Nix, where Oregon is starting Justin Herbert, possibly the first pick in the upcoming NFL draft. I have to say, and I'll I'll just give you an early tip here on one of my three scoop and score picks of the week. I like Oregon getting the three and a half points. I think they'll win the game outright. Uh, I'll certainly take the free three and a half. And it's just a matter of, I'll take the senior, experienced quarterback over the true freshman when the lights are bright. I know that Auburn has a great defensive line. Uh, I expect Oregon's offensive line to be able to to counter that and and provide Justin Herbert with some time to uh, to run that offense. And I just don't see Auburn generating enough offense to hang with the Oregon Ducks in that one. So take the free points. Oregon's gonna win the game and uh, and take the Ducks plus three and a half in. That one. Um, I'll just I'll give you my other two picks. I like Texas A&M minus thirty three and a half versus Texas State. I don't have a whole lot of X's and O's to give you on this one. I just think led by Kellen Mond, I think Texas A&M is going to put up sixty in that game, and uh, I, I don't see Texas State necessarily getting into the high twenties. So lay the thirty three and a half. I think Texas A&M should be w- able to win by five touchdowns. Um, and, uh, and, and lastly, I'll say Georgia minus 21 at Vanderbilt. I think that, uh, Kyle Shermer at quarterback last year for Vanderbilt was an important piece. They still have, uh, Kayla, K- Kayla, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. He's also my fantasy team. Lipscomb at receiver, uh, and Keyshawn Vaughn at running back. Certainly good skill position players. I just don't think they have the quarterback to get it to him. Uh, I think that... Uh, the ability to run the ball is not going to be that helpful against uh, Georgia's uh, defensive front seven. Ultimately, I think Georgia just kind of suffocates Vandy, wins this game something in the realm of thirty-five to seven, and and I think you're certainly comfortable uh, laying the twenty-one in that one. Uh, last game of note on Saturday night. Uh, you get a little Pac-12. Tw- it's, it's not full Pac-12, but you get a little Pac-12 after dark action. You get Fresno State and USC. Fresno State coming off multiple strong years. Uh, and USC, Clay Helton's going to be on the hot seat all season. I said a little, I tipped my hand a bit about, I expect JT Daniels to have a huge season uh, passing the ball. I think the offensive line could be a huge from. This should be a pretty good game, uh, USC and Fresno. And, uh, and I think it'll say a lot about about what we can expect from USC this season. If they really look impressive and, and win the game by a couple scores, could be looking at a resurgence. You know, 10 wins that may be contending for a Pac-12 title. If they lose this one and, and don't look good doing it, things could spiral early. We could be looking at another five and seven year uh, and, and, a, and a firing of, of Clay Helton, uh, no doubt. And then... Uh, since it's opening weekend, we've got uh, we got one game Sunday, one game Monday. Uh, Sunday, we've got Houston and Oklahoma. They certainly uh, played an exciting game in 2016 where Houston came away uh, a winner. Uh, this year, Houston's led by De'Ara King, who's one of the most exciting players in all of college football. Uh, certainly recommend tuning into that one. And on the other side, you see Jalen Hurts uh, trying to continue the tradition of Oklahoma quarterbacks winning the Heisman. Uh, following in the footsteps of Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, of course. Uh, Jalen Hurts, if the name sounds familiar, he was the starting quarterback at Alabama. He's got something like a 24-2 all-time record as a starter. Uh, Came in and won the SEC Championship for Alabama last year. So certainly talented. Uh, The knock on him is that he's not a great thrower. I guess guess we'll just have to see what Oklahoma is able to, Uh, to do with him. Uh, They've certainly been successful in turning out quarterbacks in recent years, so we'll uh, certainly want to keep an eye on how Jalen Hurts does. And lastly, Monday night, hopefully not an exciting game. Uh, Notre Dame goes to Louisville. It'll be tough to be at the public house on a school night, uh, quote-unquote, but we uh, we will still show out in full force. One thing I'll note about this game, Louisville was absolutely terrible last season. And Notre Dame should not have a problem in this game. But uh, new head coach, Scott Satterfield, coming over from Appalachian State, uh, certainly should have that team focused. And regardless of how bad the players are, uh, and and just the kind of dearth of talent, last year that team gave up early. Uh, I think it's hard to really say how bad things were uh, under head coach Bobby Petrino and defensive coordinator Brian Van Gorder. But those players completely quit. They had no interest in playing for that coaching staff. So just taking the exact same bad players, giving them a new coaching staff, and giving them motivation to play hard, that is worth a lot. Uh, This little team will be better. Don't panic if Notre Dame doesn't win this game by 30 points. If they win by 14, we're going to be completely happy. Let's get out of it with no injuries. And, uh... And let's just have a great week one. And with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening. I, I'm i hesitant to say this in case I can't come through. I'm hoping to have a guest, a friend of a program, a multi-time guest on next week uh, to preview week two slate of games. Uh, but until then, enjoy college football. It's back, baby. That concludes the Scoop and School podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.